How's that for a catchy title? The importance of a healthy body. Who would not want a healthy body? All of us would love to have that. Physically, first of all, we talk about that as we come to Titus chapter 2 in our study. Physically, most of us would agree that it would be important to have a healthy body. And if we don't have one, we want one. Uh, not all of us would agree what, what that means, what it means to have a health, healthy body or, or what it even looks like. But certainly, I think physically we would agree that it takes time to have a healthy body. It would take caring for that body. It would take time exercising. It would take time eating. It would take time, unfortunately, though we would not like it, to go to the doctors, to go to the dentist. We take time in dressing the body, preparing the body. And if a person has a healthy body, most of the time it attracts attention. It is admired by others. It is desired by those who don't have it. And when our physical being and our body is not healthy, we realize that it results usually in pain, in disease, in complications that we had not anticipated. And sometimes, if we're honest, when the body's not healthy, it can even be repulsive to others who might see it. But also, we need to realize, because it's important to our text, that sometimes what we think is a healthy body is not. And we can be fooled by just looking at the appearance of someone physically, when in reality, they go to the doctors and then find out, you might feel good, you might think you're okay, but you have a serious problem. And that is not uncommon. But what about spiritually? Spiritually, we talk about having a healthy body. We need to realize that spiritually having a healthy body is very, very important to God. Extremely important. And it ought to be important to us. That the body of Christ is healthy in all of its respects. In all, I'll put it to you this way. In all three of its respects. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Number one, individually. We should be very concerned individually for our own spiritual health. And locally, we should all be concerned for the healthiness of Fellowship Bible Church. And we should be all concerned for the healthiness of the body of Christ universally, as it is represented in other parts of the world. We think of missions, we think of other local churches. But we should be very concerned, and I challenge you right away this morning before we start to dissect the text. Are you really, am I really spiritually concerned? Am I as concerned for my spiritual body as I am for the way I take care of my physical body? Do I spend enough time? Am I concerned about the local body? Am I ever concerned about the universal body of Christ? It's very important to God and should be to us. When it is healthy, that is, when it is healthy individually, locally, universally, 
I do believe that, first of all, it's attractive to God. Second of all, it should be very attractive to true believers. When the body is functioning, when you are spiritually healthy, you should be attractive to true believers. And sometimes it is even attractive to the unsaved or unbelievers who are attracted by the difference of the body when it's healthy. But if not, what about if your spiritual body, if your spiritual walk, if our collective spiritual walk as a local assembly, if universally the body of Christ is not healthy, I would say to you that it is also just like the physical body. It's avoided. People don't want any part of it. It is mocked. And it is even sometimes repulsive to believers and even the unsaved. But also, as we have seen in going through Titus, we can also be fooled. We can be fooled thinking that we are healthy spiritually, that collectively as a local church we're healthy, and universally the body of Christ is healthy, when in reality it is not. Because it is made up of professing believers rather than true believers because of the way it is functioning. The, the world, and you've heard enough messages on this, but the world and its standards, even for quote-unquote Christianity in the body of Christ, is not the same as it is for Christ. For example, you've heard this before, that usually the way a church is determined to be healthy, or your walk is determined to be healthy, is, is it growing? What's the size of it? How big is it? How big is the missions program? And it starts talking about all the things on the peripheral. You know, and we share this with you in a couple of different ways, and one of the recent trips that we took as a church, when we went over to the footsteps of Paul, we were in Turkey, and there were a lot of big churches there, but the, probably the one of the most effective that we found, even on our trip, was in a little garage where there was a true pastor that when he heard that we were believers, got so excited he started following us around a little bit. And some of you that were on the trip remember that. If I remember Sharon Spires, that was one of the biggest memories that she had on the trip. They were so excited, and he was winning people for Christ. There had been baptisms, and nobody even knew it was there. But that was a healthy church. You see, we can be fooled. So how can we be healthy? Let's really get down to it, Pastor Dan, with the text that we've been and we've been dealing with this. We want to be healthy. We want to have a healthy body. And let's talk about spiritually. How can we have a healthy spiritually body? Because that is what Paul is going to address now as he continues on through chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Titus. And in the outline I've given you, we want to begin in chapter 2, verse 1, the responsibility of consistency between doctrine and practice, because that's where Paul's going. The consistency between doctrine and practice, chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it to you again. But as for you, and I will read it again later, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Many today know the language of Christianity. 
They know what to say, when to say it, in whose presence to say it, how to say it, how often to say it. And many talk about doctrine. They know when they're in this particular group, they want to talk about it this way. When they're in that particular group, they can talk about it this way. And they know that this one has this doctrinal stand and this one has this doctrinal stand. And so they know what to say, when to say, and they sound like they've always got proper doctrine. There are many today in this century because of the technology that's been made available to us that can quote Bible verses backwards, forwards, up and down, and even have memorized books of scripture. There are others who not only know that much, but they teach solid doctrine. They really know what the word of God says, and they preach it, they teach it, they teach Sunday school, they teach their children it. They have all types of information about godliness, but they have no godly life. There is no godly living. They are nothing more than Sunday morning Christians. Someone mentioned the Catholic Church. For those of you that know my background, I'm not speaking out against the Catholic Church. It's just reality that I grew up in Roman Catholicism. And you know what? Sometimes Protestantism, sometimes professing Christianity, is no different from Roman Catholicism. It's I go to a church. I do a service. I do my religious thing. I know what Christian circles to go into. And yet, while all of that is going on, the life, the local church, and sometimes Christianity universally looks like, acts like, talks like, smells like the world. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about the things that we usually think of. What do you mean? Normally, when you hear something like this in a message and you talk about the fact that, you know, people profess faith, they talk about good doctrine, and then they, they don't live like the, the uh, Lord and live like they should and they live like the world, we begin to think about dress, the way people dress. We begin to think about their hairstyle. We begin to think about, that's not what I'm talking about. Because that's not really worldliness, necessarily. What are we talking about? We're talking about those that profess faith in Christ, those that say they have the right doctrine. They could tell you, they could quote Bible verses, and their life is absolutely filled with lying, immorality, drunkenness, selfishness, lack of self-control. That's what I'm talking about. They talk about Christianity. They could, they could quote Bible verses, and there's no consistency with the sin that the world has. I mean, there is consistency with that. There's no consistency with their profession. I'm going to tell you that it's true with you, and it's true with me, and it's true with the world around us. People absolutely hate hypocrites. They hate hypocrisy. And you know what? The world is filled with hypocrites. And Christianity, professing Christianity, is filled 
with hypocrisy. I want to make some statements, then I'll get into the passage. Godly teaching must be followed up with godly living. Godly, healthy, healthy doctrine must produce a spiritually healthy life. The fruit of right doctrine has to be right living or it's not real. In our text, that's where Paul's going. You say, I don't see it, Pastor Dan. He says that they, and I'll come back to about the speaking, but they had to be involved, this involvement in speaking things that are fitting, that is, things that are appropriate, things that are proper. What? Watch. For sound doctrine. Now that word sound there and the idea of the doctrine behind it is healthy doctrine. That's where I got my concept of the title for the message this morning. Paul wants teaching that teaches that there is to be consistency in what's lived with what is taught. That what, that's where we get our word hygiene from when you talk about sound. He wants consistency in appropriate living, proper living that lines up with proper hygiene. There's got to be the consistency in the life and in the doctrine. In other words, as Paul is continuing to instruct Titus as he moves into chapter 2, Paul wants Titus to be teaching people to live a life that is appropriate with what they say they believe. That's what verse 1 is saying. He wants Titus to teach that which teaches a life that is consistent with the sound doctrine. He is not talking about perfection. Because any one of us right now could go on a guilt trip because we know that we sin. He's not talking about that. But he's talking about consistency. He's talking about making a profession of faith. He's talking about teaching the right things, but also consistently living with what we're teaching. In other words, you say you're a Christian, live it. Let's see it. Don't just keep talking about it. Let's see it in the life. How much time do you really have for God? You know, I made the comparison with the physical. And you know, you folks know, my, my mind's pretty open to you. I, I jog. I'll watch what I eat. I eat everything. But we, we, we do things like this, and we spend time taking concern about our physical body. Are we taking time for God? Or is it just Sunday? Make it more practical. You say you know the word of God. Well, how are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your children? How do you treat authority and governments? How are you treating your employer if you're working for somebody? Are you being consistent with your time? How are you in your private life? That's what he's dealing with. What is going on there when God sees you? How are you treating others as God would have them treating? How are you treating your enemies? The scriptures very consistently, and Paul is going into that now with Titus, teaches that the pattern of scripture is sound doctrine, yes, 
sound living supporters. I want to show you that very quickly. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. These are, these are passages that you know. Because that's where Paul is going right now. Romans chapter 12. You could quote it for me probably. Therefore I urge you, verse 1, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, what? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then what does he say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking. He's not saying, look at your hairdo. He's not saying, what have you got on today for dress? Now, I know that there should be modesty and so forth, but those are the things we're looking at. He wants the mind to be renewed. Why? So that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, so that there be that consistency that comes out in the life. Go with me to, a, and by the way, in Romans, he's been teaching doctrine. Go with me to a simpler situation. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, most people are familiar with this, he has been bombarding the reader and the saints at Ephesus with proper doctrine, with the fact that they were saved before the foundation of the world, who they are in Christ, what they are. And then he says this, chapter 4, verse 1. Conclusion, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, what? To walk worthy. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, okay, now you've got the doctrine, now walk the walk. Now let's see it. Let everybody else see it. The practicality of that. Go to verse 17, same chapter. So this I say, affirm together with, all, uh, with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. What does that mean? Watch in the futility of their mind, they don't have any hope, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Don't walk that way anymore because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality. That should not be in the Christian life. For the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness, Oh, I just wish I had more. Oh, I just wish I had this. Oh, I just wish. But you're, I'm a, you're a Christian. You're never satisfied. Always wanting more. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ this way. That's what he says. You didn't learn it. Go down to verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth. Each one of you. Verse 26. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. How about this for practicality? Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer. That's a life. Not only that, rather let him labor, performing with his, good, with his own hands that which is good so that he might be able to provide for someone else that has a need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. That's practical. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Why? Along with all malice, be kind one to another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How many Christians won't forgive anybody? Just as God has in Christ also forgiven you. It's not done. Chapter 5, verse 3. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as are proper among saints. Shouldn't even be in the vocabulary. Nobody should be able to talk that way about you. Verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Notice this. Making the most of your time. As you know, last week, I was away on vacation. And I was down the Cape, and we were with uh, several of our grandchildren. And family members came, and we had a wonderful opportunity to be there. And several times, we talked about that, where they wanted to watch a movie, or they wanted to watch a DVD. And we said, there's more things to discover. There's other things to do. We don't want to just get a mind just watching the TV or watching videos. And we went out and did things. And I remember being on the, the beach with, with the kids and telling them what a sandpiper was as opposed to a seagull. And we were watching and excited about different things. And what I'm saying to you is this. We get so bogged down that we don't redeem the time and make use of our time as Christians. We're wasting it. And yet we're professing to know God. Chapter 5 is very practical. I didn't go in there in Ephesians, but it talks about, okay, husbands... Love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, here's what you're to do. Slaves, work hard. It's very practical. And that's Titus's, that's the point of Paul to Titus. You see, folks, this is where, listen to me, good works comes in. No one ever has been or ever will be saved by good works. Not by good works that we have done. People have this concept of a scale, and if I do okay, maybe I'll get into heaven. No, you won't. The only reason anyone ever gets into heaven is because God allows us there, and the only reason he allows us there, because we are all sinners, is because the payment was paid by his son, and it satisfied the righteousness of God. And now by faith in that work, a person gets saved. The finishing completed work of Jesus Christ. And only there. But he had, you're in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You know it. Verse 10. Look. For we are his workmanship. Who is? Believers. You profess right doctrine. You say you know God. You say you know what God wants. Well, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Watch. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't get saved by good works, but it should be the product. The living, the life should be the product, and it should be seen by everybody. It should be seen by the world. In case you don't think that's the point of Titus, go back to Titus. Go to chapter 2 again. Look at what we're going to get. And Chris, uh, sorry, Kurt is right. I will get there. I don't know when I'll get there, but I'll get there. Chapter 2 of Titus. Look at verse 7. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Show yourself. Let your life be seen that way. He's talking to believers. Look at verse 14. 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people, watch this, for his own possession, zealous for what? Help me. Good deeds or good works. That's what he's done. He's redeemed us. There is a place for good works, folks. There is a place for the life to be seen. It is fine to quote scripture. It is fine to be doctrinally correct, and it should be. But Paul is now moving into the area, and he's saying, I want you to teach things that are fitting for that doctrine so that the life will line up with what is said. Isn't it true that even Proverbs 20 says, even a child, help me, is known by his good work? Isn't that true? I can know your children. You can know my children by watching their life. And you say, that person's a rascal. That person's a troublemaker. Watch out for that one. Why? The life that it's producing. And you know what? It's true with you. And it's true with me. What is the life like? How do you win over false teachers? That's been chapter one. You do it by good deeds. You do it by a good life. You're going to see that. Let me go back to chapter two of Titus, verse one responsibility of leadership. So the first thing that I'm saying to you is he's now moving into the area where he's teaching that it's fine to have right doctrine, and you'll see why in a minute, but you had better have the life that is fitting for what you're saying. The responsibility of leadership. Remember, chapter 1, as we studied Titus together, he talked about how Titus was to establish sound biblical qualified leadership they need so these conditions should be in the life of the leadership they should already have that sound life now what's their responsibility chapter 2 verse 1 but as for you there's a contrast here and I'll show it to you in a second there's a contrast and he says but as for you that is Titus speak there's the command there's the command it is to speak and it is to teach, if you will, what? Things that are fitting. Teach that the life is to be lined up with the profession. What is the contrast? But it's in contrast to the false teachers. It is in contrast to the unbelievers. Go back to verse 16 of chapter 1. They, who's they? False teachers in the context and ultimately unbelievers by what was said. Why? Look what it says. They profess to know God, but watch this, but their deeds, by their deeds, they deny him. They have a good profession. They know the language. They know what to say. They know how to capture you. They know what doctrine to say when they're in your presence. But by their life, they deny what they're saying. That's a false teacher. That is an unbeliever. Why? They deny him. Well, look at being detestable, disobedience, worthless for any good deed. There it is. Their lives don't line up. And what was going on in the island of Crete, remember, that Titus had to get things in order. And in getting things in order, it's because there was so much mix-up and so much confusion, and there wasn't any leadership, and he was to establish that leadership to oppose those that were easy, easy, even, excuse me, 
turning over families. Families were confused and being overtaken by their doctrine because they were saying the right things, but their life was very inconsistent. And he says they were that way. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but now you, that is Titus, it's to be a change. He's not to be like those people that deny Christ by their life. But he is one that is to teach that the life is to be consistent with what they say. And the way you distinguish and the way you overcome those false teachers is by seeing people that say they know God and they live like they know God. And that's where he's going with it. They don't live that way. And that's what the leadership is to do. So leadership is to be an example, but it's also to teach. That is part of my responsibility. As Kurt goes down to Florida, and you've, he's been here for some of my messages through Titus. When you go from church to church, don't look at the size of the church. I don't care how many programs they have. I don't care whether they're secret friendly. Don't be fooled like everybody else. It may be a big church and God's blessing, but that may be all fluff. The way you check out a church is you see whether the leadership is qualified, and then you see whether there's consistency. Are they teaching the word of God in areas like this? So that they're teaching and they're concerned with the way people are living, whether it is for God. That's the leadership's responsibility. Part of the shepherding and teaching and instructing. And the best church that you can be in may be that little church in Turkey that's small. Or it may be in a large church. It's got nothing to do with the size. God's building his church. Christ is building his church. He will give the increase. That's not what to look for. It's not the teen program. It's not the nursery program. It's not the senior saints program. It's not the men's ministry. It's not the women's ministry. It is sound doctrine with sound living. That's being taught. And we won't get to it today, but the third part of your outline. So the, the leadership is responsible to teach that. Let the life line up. Well, you say, that's great, Pastor Dan. Chapter 1 told us that the leadership had better be qualified leadership, and they better be godly people. Yes. And that lets me off the hook. No, it doesn't. Because to have a healthy body, folks, listen there is a responsibility for the body members. It not only rests with the leadership, you have to deal with the leadership first. But then every single one of you that are sitting here right now have a responsibility to have a healthy spiritual life. The whole body has to be healthy. And he's going to get into the specifics Starting in verse 2, on down to verse 10, look at it. You decide where you are. Older men. You older men, that includes me. There are some specifics. Older women. You don't get out of it. All younger women. You don't get out of it. Younger men. You don't get out of it. You say, I'm a slave. Good. You don't get out of it either. Because then he's going to deal with bond slaves in verse 9. You see it? 
He's going to deal with every single aspect of it, and he's going to get into the specifics of how you're supposed to be living for Christ. Now, I want to say a couple of things this morning, and next week, Lord willing, well, it's going to be two weeks because Bruce Michel's here next week. I'm going to get into the specifics, but I want you to listen very carefully to what I say for the next couple of minutes before I wake up and then go back to sleep. <clears throat> okay, but here it is. I think this is crucial personally to my own heart right now regarding the church of Christ. I think we have departmentalized too many things. What are you talking about? Do you see how the body is supposed to function? Let me bring it back to a family. It is so important, is it not, that our children understand their older siblings and are also around their parents and are also around their grandparents and if alive, their great-grandparents. Isn't that part of what a family is all about and it's crucial for functioning? Yes. So is the body of Christ. We are trying to get everybody just in, I only want to be with the college and career group. I only want to be with the teen group. I only want to be, and you know what you're missing out in the body of Christ? We all need one another. And the younger need to be in the presence of the older and learning from the older. And the older, there's no call to retirement spiritually. You can retire from this world as far as work goes and physically. But you are never going to retire or should never retire spiritually because the younger believers need to look up to the older believers. And we all need to function one another. And people are judging churches based upon programs again. And as you know, you talk about going to the wilds. That is a tremendous opportunity to have the whole family together and let them see the kids running around and playing and the older folks in the rocking chairs and learning from them as well. Okay? You know, and as I look around in this audience, we have some people that are a lot older than I am, and I am so grateful for that. There's too much departmentalizing going on in the church rather than functioning as a whole unit. We need the senior saints. We need the nurseries. And we need everything in between. And as a body, we need to be functioning and we need to be in one another's presence together learning how to walk with God. That's 1 Corinthians 12, is it not? I'll make more comments about the older men next time. But let me just address this. Age is normally what happens. But I will say this much this morning. The church of Jesus Christ should honor and should value highly those who have spent years serving and walking with God. We shouldn't push them aside. We should want our children to know. We have the 50th anniversary coming up. Why do you think we've taken the time as elders to have these speakers come back? So Pastor Dan doesn't have to talk. Yes, yeah, so you don't have to listen to me too. But no, 
We want you to see what God's done. We want you to see what God's still doing. And we should be getting our people engaged, people that have been through the struggles of life. We're going to see that as we get into this. We talk about the older men and the older women. They've seen the battles. They've seen what happens in local churches. They've seen what happens in families. And we can learn from them. There's too many young people that want nothing to do with the older generation, and it's not biblical. We need to honor them and lift them up. We need to learn from them and grow. I'm going to tell you something else you're going to see in every aspect. You're going to see with the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men and the slaves, you know what the problem is? Lack of self-control. Even with the older men. Even with the older women. We need to let God be controlling our lives. Why? So that our life lines up. Listen, I love sports. Too often, the heroes of our families are baseball players, basketball players, soccer players, name it what you want. Race car drivers. I'm going to hit somebody soon. I don't know. I'm going to cover them all, okay? Rather than looking up and seeing, you know what? Let me just take Fellowship Bible Church. Do you know that we've had godly ladies go before us that have prayed for you? Do you know that we've had godly men that have gone before us and faced the trials and tribulations and with all that's happened in the history of Fellowship Bible Church, we're still here by God's grace because God's worked through you? And your young children need to see that. The teens need to see it. You know, we talk about programs and sometimes because our college and career or our teens or our women's or our men's ministry is small, it's like, oh, it's more exciting to go to another church. Why? Let God use you here. Let God use you for the future of what he has here. You see, we're all departmentalized. So he'll get into the specifics, but the whole point this morning, and I close with this, is that our lives need to be consistent with what we say, not to perfection. I stand before you, I sin every day. And I don't say that with glee, but our lives should be consistent with the way we treat others, with the way we think, with what we do. And the body of Christ needs to function that way. And we're all to function that way so that when we walk out of here, we didn't just come to a church service or a mass or a religious ceremony and go our ways. We continue now in the world living for Christ by what we learned so that our doctrine's consistent. And whether we're old or we're young, whether we're bond or we're free, we ought to live for the glory of God, and that was not happening in Crete. And Paul's desire is for Timothy, now you got the leadership, start teaching this, and let's get into the specifics, and you'll see it expand in the next two chapters. Might God help us to have a healthy body individually, as Fellowship Bible Church, and we need to pray for the church universally. But it all starts with every one of us 
Having right doctrine, that's good. But then living it. Walking the walk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the challenge of verse 1. Paul's instruction to Titus. And I pray, Father, you'd begin with me. Help me to have a life that's fitting, sound doctrine, that lines up with what we say. I pray, Father, that when we profess Christ, we'd live for Christ. That people would see a definite distinction in our life, not because of our hair or our clothing or the cars or houses we have, but because of the inward purity, because of the way we treat others, because of our obedience to Christ in our walk. And we pray that we'd be encouraged by it, that others would be attracted to Christ, and that you get all the honor and glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.